Welcome to the Nittany Blues Podcast. By Penn State fans, for Penn State fans. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Vince. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nittany Blues Podcast. It has been a busy week in Penn State Athletics, to say the very least, so we've obviously got a lot of stuff that we want to cover on this particular episode. But before we get into all that, Vince, how are you doing, my man? How was your weekend? Uh, Not too bad. Uh, Fighting through the pain a little bit. Uh, I did watch Penn State's uh, hockey game this weekend. They lost uh, 2-1 to in overtime against Michigan, uh, you know, and they were fighting for their first trip to the frozen four. So, you know, that would have been really huge for the hockey program. So, you know, definitely watch that, uh, enjoyed that for the most part because they did get a lead and just couldn't hold it through the, you know, the entire duration of the third period. So that was unfortunate, but you know, overall good season for the hockey team. Uh, there were some positives. They did beat Michigan tech on Friday, eight to nothing. And they ended up recording the largest shutout in NCAA tournament history. So some positive news over the weekend too, but uh, the meat and potatoes of what we're going to talk about today is uh, Penn state basketball and, and the coaching change and the players that are leaving or asking to leave, enter the transfer portal. So we got a lot of news for you guys today. And uh, you know, uh, Andrew, what are your first, first thoughts on Micah Shrewsbury leaving to go coach at Notre Dame? Well, you know, it's it's tough because there's a lot of information out there that we as a Penn State fan base still don't know. Um, what we have learned from like some of the bits and pieces from like some of the beat reporters and some of the Twitter threads and back and forths, which we'll get into here uh, pretty shortly, the more that comes out, um, number one, I don't really necessarily blame Micah Shrewsbury for leaving uh, for the circumstances that Notre Dame is providing for him um, on top of Notre Dame being back in his home state of Indiana. So that's number one. Number two, I think that this was a really big indictment of the administration at Penn State because you know, I, I, I came on to the last pod uh, pretty confidently and just said that if they want to keep Micah Shrewsbury there, they just have to put their mind to it and do it. And, you know, this the timeline that's been built up of like what Shrewsbury has kind of put in front of them and has been kind of preaching and messaging and stuff like that, as far as what he truly believes that the program is going to need in order to succeed in this new modern era of college athletics, it just wasn't there. And if it was there, it came too late. So I think that, you know, Pat Kraft um, definitely shoulders a lot of the blame because he has been in his position now for long enough that he should have been able to rally the troops um, in a more proactive fashion as opposed to like scrambling to try to get together a package uh, for Shrewsbury at the very last moment um, to try and compete with the likes of Notre Dame who were going to come after him. Um, But I think even beyond craft, I think that there's just an underlying layer of just murkiness with the board of trustees and the powers that be at Penn State um, that really has kind of shined a light on their inability 
um, to really adapt to this modern age of college sports. Um, you know, because I think it really just um, highlighted that they either one lack the resources to make uh, keeping Micah Shrewsbury in Penn State happen, which I think we can both agree that that's not the case. Like we both know the kind of pull and the kind of juice that Penn State sports has. Or number two, they have an outdated mindset and an approach to college athletics and kind of this new era of name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal and just don't have a full appreciation for what that could mean um, in terms of one of their high-profile coaches jumping ship and going to another program. Number three, um, given what has come out of all this, uh, I just want to say that I respect James Franklin a hell of a lot more than I already did uh, because, you know, he's been dealing with a lot of like this same nonsense. I mean, his battle is a little different than Micah Shrewsbury's in the sense that like the powers that be at Penn State, even though they might have like kind of like a maybe, you know, it's never been that way before kind of mindset about like name, image and likeness and stuff like that. Those those people still at least give a crap about Penn State football, like yeah. football, football is king. Like and so. James Franklin, like as long as he's willing to kind of beat the drum and, you know, drag people through the mud, they're eventually going to um, kind of pony up and do its best for the football program because of just its significance to the university. So those are my three main things. It's like I like the more I think about this, it's like I think about this kind of like it's like a breakup in the family, you know, like you look at your family situation and you're like, ah, well, you know, things are kind of a mess in certain ways. So it's like I don't necessarily like uh, blame the person for leaving. Obviously you're sad that they're leaving. Um, I think for both sides, it's probably just, uh, the healthiest thing to do would just be to kind of clean break. He goes along their way. Like Penn state fans aren't going to be like, Oh, like, you know, I hope he loses all his games and stuff like that. Like, I don't think we need to have that mindset. I also don't think that we need to, um, necessarily like want him to win every game. I think it's just like out of sight, out of mind, like let's focus on us, you know, fix the things in house, uh, because, Clearly there's, there's some things that we got to do like outside of football. So those are, you know, I know that that was a lot. It's kind of like a soapbox rant, but those are the main things that I had to get off my chest. as kind of like a, like a prelude to the rest of this conversation. Yeah. And, uh, I, I do kind of feel like a, a breakup is almost a, a good analogy for it because, you know, Penn State just really dropped the ball on this one and just yes. not doing enough to get it done. We were a basketball team this year that made the tournament, made it to the Big Ten championship game with not a bad chance to win it towards the end. Mm -hmm. So came very close to a Big Ten title, won our first NCAA tournament game in, since 2001, um, and then really had a close game with Texas. And you're looking at Texas, who almost made it to the Final Four. Right. And... There, you know, Penn State being there is not outside the realm of possibility. And then our basketball coach accepts a job uh, a week after the turn or a week after, you know, Penn State's exit. And he leaves her a team that was 11 and 21. Mm -hmm. Like, I get that, um, you know, Notre Dame, it's his home state, whatever. Like, he loves Indiana because that's where he's from. But like. It's just like, man, you, you couldn't entice him enough to stay at Penn State, which is, you know, I know Notre Dame's a, you know, a big, you know, sports school nationally, 
but still like, you know, the things he's talked about, he's got his kid coming in. Um, you know, he's built so many good connections with the state college community. Um, I, I just cannot believe, uh, you know, Penn state dropped the ball and got it done. And, you know, I feel like with, with basketball, it just, t- it takes all of us to, to do it. The board of trustees have to do better. You know, Patrick Kraft has to do better. Fans have to do better. Like you got to buy tickets and go to the games. Like, right. You know, that's a big, uh, you know, revenue source for the program. We got to buy the tickets and there's plenty of games I went to this year where, you know, there weren't that many fans. And, right. you know, even when they're playing uh, teams like Youngstown state or teams like that, you got, you got to show up in Delaware state, you know, we need to you know make more of a concerted effort to you know, show up and buy the tickets because they actually are not that expensive and it's very affordable and, they make it accessible for people to go to the games. It's not like football where, you know, it's well over $50 for one game. It's, you know, I bought my season tickets for $12 and 50 cents. That's what it came out to being for a season ticket holder uh, for me. So it's not that much money, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we just have to, as a community and as a basketball fan base, make a more of a concerted effort to, you know, get to those games and really fill up the BJC um, you know, really get that environment going. And, you know, if, if we could do that, like the sky was the limit here. Uh, you had Mikey Hen, you know, tweeting out probably, probably before he accepted the, the Notre Dame job, just like hours before that, he was like, you know, lock screws up and start the dynasty. You know, it was a tweet of something like that. So, you know, he was telling, telling them, Hey, pay the man and let's start a dynasty here. And, you know, if Penn State basketball is good, fans show up. And when fans show up, uh, you know, more you get more revenue and that can help, you know, the program significantly. And you're getting more nationally televised games, which is good. And the fact that Penn State dropped the ball here, um, I just feel like they weren't able to do enough to make the investment to pay off the long-term dividends uh, for the program. Yeah, well said. I mean, I I agree with everything that you just said. And my semi-hot take on everything that has kind of transpired in the past week or so is that I think that if Penn State had put together the package or at least like began the process of kind of building out the plans for investment well before the end of the season, like kind of working through like midway through the season when Penn State was still kind of in the thick of it, like in their Big Ten schedule and stuff like that, Shrewsbury would still be at Penn State. That is my belief because, you know, so much of what um, all these reports and stuff have come out have basically all said, like, you know, it wasn't that the offer wasn't competitive. It wasn't that Penn State didn't at least like communicate that they're willing to pony up in the, you know, in the arenas of things like name, image, and likeness. It was just the fact that like Shrewsbury had been talking about those things for months with Mm -hmm. just no response. And then all of a sudden Notre Dame comes knocking and says, Hey, like we'll pay you what they're paying you, but probably a little bit more. Also, we have this awesome NIL infrastructure here. We've made major investments to the program. 
um, and to our like facilities and stuff like that. Like here's our attendance record and stuff like that. Like there's all these things that it's like if he's like in that position and, you know, Penn State is just kind of acting in desperation and saying, okay, okay, like we'll give you everything you want. Just like don't leave. And, but, you know, Notre Dame comes knocking with uh, like this shorthanded approach right off the bat. It's like, like how can you blame the guy? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I feel like uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, why they're kind of a good sports organization is they try to get uh, ahead of things, you know, to lock in those players, the key players and coaches that they want to lock in. Uh, you know, I think like Jordan Mylot is a good example. They just offered him a lot of money and he's, he's playing a lot better than he's being paid, but the Eagles kind of did that kind of farther in advance to lock him up and, and, you know, sign him. And they think like long-term down the road, whereas I feel like Penn state didn't plan far enough into the season. And even in December, coach Shrewsbury was talking about how they're 13th or 14th in the big 10 and NIL for basketball. Right. And yep. You know, that's just not going to fly. And at a program like Penn State with the biggest alumni base in, in the United States of America, like it's just wild that they couldn't put the package together or plan far ahead enough ahead of time, knowing that this move was likely coming. Right. Like, if, like Notre Dame, you knew Mike Bray was retiring in like November. Like, of course, they're going to come after Micah Shrewsbury. He's like one of the hottest you know, young coaching candidates out there, like, of course they're going to come knocking at the door. And uh, now obviously we don't have the exact contract numbers and everything, but I I did read an article that seven years, about $4 million a year. And I I know we've, uh, there there are rumors, uh, you know, there's a report out there that uh, we offered Coach Rhodes from VCU, the uh, head coaching job for around 3 million a year. Um, so, you know, obviously <laughs> if it's in your home state and it's more money and more NIL, it's, you know, I can understand why he's, he's going to go that way. And I did hear Penn state doubled their NIL package, which is a good thing. Uh, but at the end of the day, this just seems like a, Oh, Oh crap. Now, uh, you know, Z- Notre Dame's trying to take him away. And now we have to like, try to scramble. Like, you know, I heard, when I heard that John Harrow is making phone calls, to donors, I'm like, that kind of sounds like desperate to me. Like yes. he's trying to be a professional professional basketball player. Um, I think he's playing overseas somewhere right now. And the fact that they're like so desperate to be like, Hey, can you like volunteer and like try to get the basketball program some money? Like John Harris doesn't have to do that. He's not being paid by Penn state. Like, you know, that's just, you know, lack of, you know, foresight and thinking long-term about the administration. And that's just kind of a, a business model you know, any business that you would follow for a long-term success, uh, you know, your most successful CEOs and you know, leaders, they're not thinking about like, Oh, what are we going to do for work the next day? Like they're thinking like months and years in advance for vision of the company. So yeah, I feel like Penn state really just, you know, you know, if this could be like anything like a business, like anything, like you got to plan ahead and that's what good leaders do. And they see these things coming I think Howie Roseman's done a good job of that with the Eagles. And it's really disappointing to see Penn State go have this level of excitement. You have people like showing up to like all the college students showing up to Champs uh, Sports Bar downtown. They're all wearing like t-shirts or shouting, we're a basketball school. And then like two weeks later, it's like, it's like that guy from Waterboy, like, oh no, we suck again. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. <laughs> like we yeah. lost Bobby Boucher or something and now we're no longer a basketball school. And right. You know, you have all these guys graduating, Seth Lundy declared for the NBA, which I mean, I think I, he would have done that anyway. I, I, if I was his uh, sporting agent, I would have advised him to do that as well. You know, you have six other seniors graduating and now you're losing uh Dallian Johnson has entered the transfer portal. Caleb Dorsey, Evan Mahaffey entered the portal You've seen uh, Carrie Booth asked to be released out of his NL- NLI letter that he signed, which I don't know what the rules are, are like now, but when I signed that letter, like that meant I was at that school when I was in high school and mm-hmm. same for Logan Immis today, another three-star recruit from Indiana uh, who, who played AAU ball with coach Shrewsbury's son and kind of surprised we haven't seen him out of everyone, um, you know, requesting to be released, you know, compared to the other two. So it's just, you know, when I was uh, an athlete, they say I was told you don't go to a school just for the coach. Like you got to like the school the way it is. But the way things are structured structured now compared to when I did college athletics, you know, 10 years ago or so, like they can kind of just do whatever they want. Like there's really no rules for the players and they can kind of just go wherever they went. As long as they have an offer, they can go where they please. And, uh, you know, it just really seems like the sky is falling because they only have one incoming uh, freshman right now. It's Coach Shrewsbury's son. Yeah. And you got to think like, oh, at some point there's going to be a report that he's going to ask to be released. And, you know, he might he might go to Notre Dame to join, to join his father or go to Xavier. He had an offer from Xavier before. And it's like how are we going to get enough players to even be on the court for Penn state? Like I know they're definitely, you know, going to find guys somewhere, but you know, is the product going to be like it has been the past, you know, decade. I mean the past decade, I feel like when I've gone to games, like even though the record hasn't always been great, they all have always put out competitive basketball with, you know, even in the Shep Garner areas to the mm-hmm. you know, coach chambers era, you know, uh, ferry to, uh, Coach Shrewsbury, the games have been fun to go to because they've been competitive. So um, the the fact that, you know, they dropped the ball this bad and like, you know, maybe the coaching hire, you know, some guys will stay if they if they like the, the new coaching hire. But still, you're you're really banking on a lot. And it's just sending the program so far back, especially uh, if the players on, currently on the roster don't buy in uh, to the new coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to your original point of, you know, Penn State dropping the ball, this is what I mean. I think that this is very deep rooted at Penn State. There's just a level of apathy around Penn State basketball where it's like, you know, they just always operated with the mindset of we're a football school, like our money goes into football, football is our big money maker, like we've had historical success with football. So football, football, football. But then all of a sudden, you know, you get this, uh, you know, golden goose in the form of a basketball coach and that same apathy is still there. And, you know, you just kind of think, yeah, well, you know, nothing bad is really going to happen because, I mean, Micah Shrewsbury, of course, was the guy who nobody really wanted when he was up for these head coaching jobs. Like he was, you know, he was kind of the guy that was under the radar. Like he was a quote unquote safe choice for Penn State basketball, but a sensible one. And, you know, this is this is what happened. And Penn State just wasn't uh, proactive enough. I mean, you really like 
and the crazy thing is, is that this is not new. Like we can go all the way back to um, 2011 when coach Ed DeCellis led Taylor battle and that team to the NCAA tournament in that year, right after that season, he left to go coach for Navy. Like he, <laughs> like think about <laughs> it like that. Like he coached the first team to even appear in the NCAA tournament in a decade. And then right after that, he went and started coaching in the Patriot league. Yeah. And this is absolutely like ludicrous to me because in all of college athletics, basketball is the number two earning revenue sport, you know, behind football. So why are you not <laughs> investing heavily? Like, yeah, it's the, it's well, it's second. like, that's like why, you know, we, we haven't seen facility upgrades outside of like a nice locker room in like a couple de- decades with the BJC. Like there, it just, there's all, there's always just been a level of complacency with Penn state basketball, which was fine when we had, you know, uh, chambers coming in. And I mean, he even like put together a very good squad with like Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens and such. And obviously we know what, uh, Micah Shrewsbury has done, but it's just like, there's so many leaps and bounds that some of these other programs are taking to make sure that they're well set up uh, for, you know, the next five to 10 years and beyond. And Penn state outside of really football um, has not really taken those steps. Yeah. And honestly, like, I think we are very fortunate that coach Franklin is a PA guy. Like he went to college at Kutztown university and has ties to Penn state. He went to Uh, East Stroudsburg, bruh. Oh, East, oh, he was coaching at Cutstown, I think. Yes. <laughs> he went to East Stroud and started his coaching career at Cutstown. Right. Uh, both uh, PSAC schools. So that was my conference uh, when I competed in college. So good conference. Uh, but, you know, we're very fortunate that he's a PA guy. Like, if he was from California, he'd probably be at USC right now. Right. To, to Penn State's inability to, you know, allocate resources and do it in an efficient ma- manner and a timely manner and not a, a desperate like like oh, oh oh crap oh now we gotta get this together in two weeks like uh really really just disappointing uh for fans all around especially since you know long term this could bring in so much money into the program and that really is is the purpose of a uh a sports organization and it's challenging to bring in money, but when you have the number two sport and all the NCAA college athletics, why are you not investing in it? Like the dividends will pay off. If you know, if you build it, they will come. Uh, you know, I think the saying is, you know, is true when you put a good product out there and you know, the fact that Penn state dropped the ball this bad when the trajectory of Penn state basketball was just, you know, I think they would have had to rebuild a little bit unless they got like a bunch of stud transfers. But the trajectory for Penn State basketball was just, you know, exponentially shooting up until this, uh, you know, the coaching change. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one thing I want to get into with all of this is some of the Twitter drama that has spawned from this, because, you know, in, in typical Penn State fashion, um, like the news broke and we didn't really have full transparency as to like why or what was the history behind certain things. Um, There has been uh, bits and pieces that have come from this. Um, And one little piece of this, which is uh, something that I wanted to kind of air out as like a gripe or, you know, like something that I want to like get off my chest. Uh, There's this, um, this uh, Twitter account. It's uh, at Penn state hoops. And I don't know 
you know, how much of a level of like insider they are. I mean, I feel like Penn State, if you have certain connections, like anybody can like technically be somewhat of an insider. I mean, like even you and Charlie, like know people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like you, can you got like connections. Certain, yeah. It's like you, you just hear things. Um, and there's one he had a really uh, or she you know, to be fair, had a really (laughs) long, um, thread of kind of rumored information, like little bits and pieces to kind of like put the puzzle together as to like why things fell apart the way that they were. And there's one in here, which I thought was very poignant. And it is this, it is rumored, uh, quote, it is rumored that a last ditch effort to show Shrewsbury that PSU would get its NIL house and order opened with Shrewsbury on the call with a reminder that PSU had to worry about all 31 programs. Now, Vince, tell me how many high-profile college basketball coaches hear that from their administration and from their board of trustees. Like, do you think that Nate Oates at Alabama hears that? Do you think that the coach at Tennessee hears that? Do you think that the coach, like, do you think that, like, uh, Calipari hears that? Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like hell no. Like (laughs) it's your number two, you know, biggest, you know, money earner. Like you just look at it and like, let's say you like you're, you're running a car dealership and your second best employee is getting good offers to go somewhere. And you're like, Oh, I got to worry about all the, all 31 employees, even the ones that aren't producing like revenue and yeah, obviously all those sports are important and they need to be funded properly. Like I know as a track and field athlete, you know, sometimes you feel underfunded just because, you know, with cross country and track, it's a non-revenue sport. It's can't really sell tickets when people can just show up to meets and watch. So, you know, it does have its challenges, but at at the end of the day, uh, when you're a big division one program like this and, you know, NCAA division one power five conference, like, you got to have your shit together, man. Like you, these, uh, these administrators are getting paid so much money and it's, it's I, I feel like it's not that hard. I, I, just, I mean, I'm sure it's not a, you know, cakewalk job, but mm-hmm. you just follow the best practices of the programs that are doing really well and you find a way to get it done. And, you know, with the trajectory, I, I, I think, you know, if you were able to keep him, uh, you know, they, more fans would have showed up to games. You would have been filling them up. Ticket prices would have increased and so on and so forth. And I, I, again, they, they, they dropped the ball like, yeah. like usual with the program. And there's just, this isn't the first time something like this has happened. You know, even with the, the chambers firing, um, like right before the season started, you know, that was pretty much done so that the players couldn't enter the transfer portal and leave that like, that's why the timing of that was when it was so that the players were kind of stuck there for the year with coach Ferry, And then, you know, you have the players who were like, Oh, we love coach fair coach Ferry," And then a lot of them transferred out, uh, after, you know, uh, coach Shrewsbury was eventually hired. And it's just like, they're not supporting the players. And <laughs> when this, there, this is a consistent pattern. You, you even go back to, uh, you know, the coach leaving after Taylor battles season, the 2011 team to make the tournament, like, it's like this is a consistent thread of the basketball program not being taken care of. And it's like you wonder why um, out of all the programs at Penn State, you know, basketball always seems to be towards the bottom in terms of, uh, you know, team performance. And I think something that's pretty glaring about this particular statement as well is that if you're trying to throw football 
into one of those 31 programs that you're like, oh, like we have to like take care of this program. That is an absolute slap in the face because Penn State football is in it's a money making behemoth. Like it can take care of itself. There is layers upon layers of infrastructure to make sure that Penn State football is going to be okay. All you have to do as administrators is basically get out of people's way. But to like throw this in in Shrewsbury's face and say, hey, listen, like we have all these programs, like all these other sports at Penn State that we have to take care of too. So like just keep that in mind. Like I would just be like, are you kidding me? Like I, I see what's happening over at Lash. Like I know about the new facilities that you just approved. Like Penn State football does not need more of your love. Like I'm just asking you to like say, yeah, like we'll help you out. And it was just met with like a lukewarm um, you know, very like lawyer, like introduction or prelude like this. I mean, that's just, that's the part that kind of makes me so frustrated as, as a fan, because I'm like, dude, you don't need to like, like pander to Penn state football any more than you already are. Like, look at, look like read the room basically is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Read the room. And like, you know, Penn state's been getting all the support they could possibly need, and we haven't beat Ohio State since 2016. <laughs> like, right? There, like, there's only so much you know that I can do. Now, obviously, if you're underfunding the program, you're going to be like a Rutgers or a Indiana, Maryland, like, like those kind of bottom teams. But you know, it takes a it would take a lot to get over like Ohio State and and up to that level. And I don't think like the money is going to necessarily make a significant difference because they already are getting so much. And I think it would be better allocated to the, the, the basketball team because they need it to put out a, you know, a good team and coach Shrewsbury, you know, he, he I think he does a really good job about getting the most talent out of the players he has. And, you know, you know, coach Franklin's done a good job with, you know, with what he's been making and he, they get more mm-hmm. and more every year, which is good. And, yeah, they're taken care of all the time, but like basketball needs to be taken care of too. Yep. Um, so one interesting little twist in there, you know, about how like, you know, giving Penn State money or Penn State football money, giving them support and stuff like that. So there was actually kind of a, a very notable detractor to giving Penn State football more support in the form of like funding new facilities and stuff like that. And it came in the form of Jay Paterno, which is, uh, or rather, who is the son of former legendary coach Joe Paterno. Um, it was uh, pretty well documented that, I forget what the timeline of this was, but Franklin basically put together this very comprehensive package and said, hey, like, this is what's happening in the landscape of college football in terms of facilities. Like, you know, players are basically getting resorts now for their for their college football facilities. I mean, look what look what's at Georgia. Like it, yeah, steak and um, lobster every night. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was put in front of the board of trustees. Um, you know, kind of like a very, you know, at least like from an outsider's perspective, it seemed like it was pretty sensible. You know, in terms of like being competitive on the college landscape and knowing like how much money the university brings in, and you know, kind of doing the. Uh, like the checks and balances against, you know, investment in versus return out and stuff like that seemed like it made sense. However, there were a couple of people who voted against it. One of those people was Jay Paterno. So, you know, it was kind of like a, like what gives, like you're, you're the son of the football coach. Like you are the son of the 
Penn State football coach. Like, what are you, like, why? Why would you do this? And he came out with this, you know, very like lawyer-like um, response. I'm, I'm using the, the term lawyer-like a lot, but it just seems like there's so much. Political, like, like a political, I feel like yeah, a politician ex- response. Yeah, exa- exactly. Like, you know, kind of those lukewarm, like, can be interpreted like 20 different ways type of statement. But he came out and said that he believed that, um, and this was something that it took from his dad, was that, you know, football existed to serve the university. The university is not meant to serve football, which we can get into in a different pod. However, so the reason why this is significant is because um, Jay Paterno apparently, you know, was kind of getting fed up with some of the slack that the board of trustees was getting um, for its role in Shrewsbury leaving the program and put out a tweet, which was met with, um, a lot of criticism. Did he delete <laughs> the tweet like an hour later? He, he did <laughs> not. People screenshot it. Yeah, he did not, which I, I do give him credit for. Like he's he's standing <laughs> his ground. You know, he's like, you know, he he's got he's gotten a lot of feedback. Like, let's just say that. So I'll read out this tweet to you. Um it says, fact, dedicated Penn State fans slash community and success with honor met every basketball NIL request. The latest increase exceeded in just two days. That's how Penn State alumni responded. Those spreading any counter-narrative only hurt the program's coaching search and future. Um, so basically, I, you know, like I said, very like politically uh, based statement, you know, kind of like passing the buck a little bit. Um, this was met with criticism from one of our own in Michael Motti, you know, the guy who needs no introduction for <laughs> Penn State fans, like just one of the all-time greats in terms of just leaders of men and just uh, ambassadors for Penn State and stuff like that. So he- Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, the story I want to share, you know, because not every, everyone listening might not know this, but, uh, you know, Michael Motti, he had a, a serious injury. I think he tore his ACL or something, was out for the season, uh, you know, during the Bill O'Brien years. And all the players on the team wore the- a sticker 42 on the side of their helmet, which was Mahdi's number. Mm-hmm. And that is how everyone felt on the team. Yeah. Penn state, it takes a lot of pride and, you know, you know, black shoes, basic blues. That's it. Like the stripe on the helmet, no names on the jerseys. That's how highly this guy was thought of. Everyone was like, we are getting 42 on our helmets, you know, for, for our leader, you know, Michael. So, you know, that's just the volumes that he was respected to. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that, that is, that's reverberated. I mean, even a decade later, we can almost, uh, clearly vividly see that video of him and Michael Zordich, uh, leading the team out after a team meeting and stuff like that. But, you know, we won't get into the nitty gritty details of, uh, like that speech in this episode, but he had, um, he had something to say about this and he, uh, had like his second of two tweets said fact number two, you voted against football on board of trustees. Please remind why are you even in this conversation? We need alignment, not rhetoric about quote unquote counter narratives. Go to Capitol Hill with that slander. Let those who intend on actually unifying PSU community advance so we can thrive. And even went so far as to say that Jay Paterno's relevancy has expired at Penn State, which I thought was like the most incendiary thing that he could have like said about 
like the son of Joe Paterno, but I thought was like very, it, it was, it was very poignant because like this, this is what I'm talking about before where it's like you have members of people in power at Penn state who have like operated with a certain mindset, like with certain belief and a certain just kind of way of life that, you know, like there's no money in sports or there's no money in college sports. Like, you know, like players can't transfer like at their whim and stuff like that. Like the sport or just the nature of college athletics overall has evolved so rapidly. And it just seems like these um, administrators are not well-equipped enough to keep up, or at least they're not willing to adapt quick enough to put Penn state in a position of success and, you know, just prolonged success and, you know, just like making sure that their high profile coaches and players are happy. And that's why I said that I really respect James Franklin so much more because of this, because it's like, he's been fighting this battle now for almost 10 years. And so, you know, I just thought, I just wanted to like throw this out here because this was like a very, um, you know, buzzworthy moment for Penn state Twitter and just kind of an, an interesting angle from this, uh, like all of the back and forth and all the speculation and all the, um, takes on Reddit and, or not on Reddit on Twitter and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. What do you think of, uh, Michael Motti calling out Jay Paterno? I mean, he's calling a spade a spade. Like, uh, yeah. you know, this is, you know, power five division one athletics. This is a competitive sport. You are to be competitive. If you're going to be successful in, you know, anything in life, you know, you gotta be, you gotta compete. And they're just being content with not competing. Like when other teams have better facilities, you know, you're going to stay lobster for dinner every night. Like, like what do you think an 18 year old kid is, is going to choose? And the best of the best are going to choose, you know, you know, the best opportunity for them. And you know, what is, you know, most convenient, like it's very convenient to have steak and lobster every day after practice. Like that's where they, these 18 year old kids are going to go. And, you know, they like the, you know, the glitz and the glam and you put that investment in and in return, you get things like college football playoff appearances and national championships. Like, yep. It's one of those things. If you don't invest in it, your chances of success go down significantly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that I think is the perfect, uh, summarization because like, it's hard to like think, you know, how investing in Penn State football wouldn't be like serving the university because, you know, everyone knows or at least is able to like uh, extrapolate the fact that Penn State football makes a lot of money. Like, you know, they have packed out stadiums, like all their tickets cost an arm and a leg and, you know, all the, all the gear, all the merchandise, all the licensing and all this stuff. Like it, it's like I said, it's a money making behemoth. And so, you know, in order to stay competitive and make sure that football is still serving the university, you've got to make those investments. And so, you know, it, it just seems like there's either some resistance to the new ways of college football because of some, um, long held ideals that existed like in the eighties and the nineties of college football, when Penn state was like really in it, uh, like in one of its heydays and stuff like that, like that kind of stuff just doesn't fly anymore. And so I think that, um, Michael Motti, you know, kind of calling stuff like this out is important. And I also think that it's, um, 
it's significant in the fact that like these these people who hold these beliefs and who have like publicly said certain things about like the nature of college athletics and uh, like the future of Penn State football and stuff like that, like these people are replaceable. And, you know, like Michael Motti is somebody that a lot of people listen to. And so um, board of trustees are uh, have to be voted back in. People have a vote. So, it, you know, I think their tune is going to have to change mighty quick if uh, they want to hold their position of power, because like this is this is the first time that um, Penn State's inability to kind of shift their approach and mindset has reared its ugly head. Like if if James Franklin had taken like the USC job after, you know, like 2016 or 2017 or whatever year it might've been like, that would have been it. But he thankfully has decided to stay. And so this is it. Like Penn state is now dealing with the fallout of, you know, not being able to adapt to the times. Um, and people know about it. Like, and people have somewhat of a reason to point as to why those things happened. Um, so, you know, much like any politician, that's out there, you know, if something bad happens in your state or you disagree with their policies or their, you know, viewpoint on certain matters, you vote them out. Same, same principle applies here, Vin. So, um, I think that this is like, this is going to have, uh, like the whole Shrewsbury thing and, you know, all the things that have happened because of it, I think are going to have cascading effects, um, on Penn state, um, in what direction they go. I don't know. It'll be interesting, but I don't think that it's going to be just nothing. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, you know, the past like two, three years, uh, you know, game's changing now for administrations and it's the, it's changing at a fast pace. Like, you know, Penn State's inability to do this would be to me like, you know, when the three point line becomes a thing in basketball and you're like, well, we're going to shoot twos because that's all we've done and we're not going to change. That doesn't work like in you know modern day basketball and in the NBA, like you got to shoot threes and you got to have players who can knock down threes just from an analytics perspective, you know, catch and shoot threes. If you can get those and close baskets, like you're going to be a pretty good basketball team. And my viewpoint is kind of like, okay, you know, Penn State's stuck in the past, whereas right now in this time period of history in college athletics, things are changing so much. So therefore you must change you know, with the new regime of college athletics. And like, if you don't want to do that, like go off to Rutgers or something like, you know, Penn state is not for you. You gotta, you know, find a way to adapt and find a way to compete. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, really frustrating, uh, to see, but you know, maybe, uh, you know, the board of trustees will change and, you know, this will force them to be uh, more competitive, but you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, as fans and, you know, people who are connected to Penn state, uh, you need the coaches a lot more than you need the administrators. Like you need the, the athletes and the coaches a lot more than you need the higher up. So I, I, I thought I would just throw that up there. Uh, you know, that's the kind of the most important takeaway that I want to put in there with my thoughts. Awesome. Uh, so do you have anything else? Cause I mean, we've, we've talked about this in a number of different ways. Uh, do you have anything else on Shrewsbury leaving, uh, before we talk about potential replacements? Uh, I, I think we've covered, covered enough of it. We, we've ranted long enough. Uh, let, let's get into some new potential coaching hires. Andrew, uh, 
do you want to go um, into VCU's coach or do you want to kind of go, go, I want me to go over the list. Um, well, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's go over like the potential list because I mean, there's been some recent updates, which, uh, you know, would kind of, um, make it, that would make it make sense for us to cover Mike Rhodes in a little more detail. Um, so let's go over like maybe, you know, coaches that have been reported to be on Penn state's wish list or like guys that we might like to see them go after. So like, who are some guys that, um, you know, when, when Shrewsbury left to take the Notre Dame job, who were you thinking of as like, man, I would really like to see him become the next coach of Penn state. Yeah. So there's, there was a lot of guys on the list. Uh, first on that list is obviously Adam Fisher. Uh, you know, once Coach Shrews left, you saw a lot of veterans kind of saying, hey, hire this guy. So those are guys like Jalen Pickett, Miles Dredd, Andrew Funk, Cam Winter. Um, they all want him back. And this guy has a lot of experience. Uh, you know, he played for three campaigns under Ed DeCellis. He's a 2006 Penn State graduate, which I think is awesome because he has that connection to the university. Uh, he got a master's degree at Villanova. That makes him a great, great candidate. He spent time as a video coordinator with Pat Chambers. Um, he spent, you know, a decade, nearly a decade with Jim Laranaga on his staff in Miami right now. And they're in the final four, which is where I would love Penn State basketball to be. Um, so I think he's a great candidate. Matt Langle, he is coaching at Colgate. Um, they've had a lot of success in, uh, you know, the Patriot league. They made it to the NCAA tournament. I do think that, uh, and they won the last five regular season Patriot league championships and, and four births to the dance. So that's huge. And they were the best three point shooting team in college basketball. So I do think that has a lot of potential just with Penn state shooting so many threes. I think he can impl implement an offense that is very friendly to three point shooters. You have a uh, Jason Williford on the list. Um, he was with uh, Coach Shrewsbury uh, for two years, and he's one to watch uh, from Virginia. So he has some experience with uh, Tony Bennett down there in uh, Charlottesville. They've won a national title um, a few years ago, and then we got Mike Rhodes, who uh, it was reported that he was offered. The uh, coaching position, he has some Pennsylvania ties playing at Lebanon Valley College and, uh, you know, has spent the past six years at VCU and they've had three NCAA tournament bids. So good things there. And then the last one, kind of a dark horse in the race is uh, Joe Crispin. And uh, he spent some time in the NBA, played for those Jerry Dunn squads, um, you know, with Penn State. So uh, he has a 90 and 48 record. He spent some time coaching at Rowan University. Um, so, yeah, he's kind of a, a dark horse uh, for the position due to his Penn State ties. So, uh, Andrew, if you are Penn State's athletic department, how are you handling this debacle? And who is your prime candidate going forward? So, I'm thinking about this in terms of what I need right now and the thing that i keep coming back to is that there are multiple reasons why penn state needs to wrap this hiring process up as quickly as possible um number one is just that you know any guy that you want to potentially hire um you want to get them on 
your squad uh, before they're snatched up by other programs. Like that's just number one, you know, that's the normal stuff. Yeah. Time um, is money. Yep. Number two is that they need to get somebody in house quickly because I think that regardless of who it's going to be, their number one job, the first day on the job is going to be trying to convince Carrie Booth to stay at Penn state. Like yes. you, you gotta keep that kid. You know, he's um, um, the whole deal with like being released from, your letter of intent, I believe, can take a little while. Um, so you do have a little bit of a bubble in terms of timing. And so, you know, this isn't like something where, you know, you're, um, you declare that you want to be released from your letter. And then all of a sudden these like programs can start like contacting you and stuff like that. I mean, maybe they can and maybe that's tampering. I don't know. I just don't know the rules well enough. But, um, you know, for the time being, he is still a, you know, a student athlete that has like signed on with Penn state. And so we need somebody to come in and just make this pitch to him say like, Hey, listen, like I get it. There's been a lot of turmoil, but you know, I'm here. I have like a certain level of pedigree depending on like who's coming in and stuff like that. Like that is the number one most important pitch right now. Um, and number three, um, I think that they need somebody to come in quickly because of the transfer portal. So kind of the same mindset as Kerry Booth, like you have all these guys, you know, similar to college football, you had a huge influx of players entering the transfer portal following the conclusions of their seasons. I mean, we're only waiting now for a couple of teams um, to finish up their seasons uh, with the final four and the national championship and stuff like that. But, you know, now all these players are contemplating their college basketball future. And if they're not going into the NBA, maybe they're looking to go elsewhere. And so you have this big pool of players um, we know based on, you know, Dalian Johnson leaving, um, you have Emez um, requesting his release. And I, I think he's probably just gone. I think Braden Shrewsbury has gone for obvious reasons. Um, Evan Mahaffey, special talent in the portal. Right. And, you know, he's even somebody who, if we get a coach coming in quickly, might be able to make a pitch to have him stay given his unique skill set and stuff like that. But you know that as an incoming coach, like, you got some work to do in the transfer portal if you're going to continue to be like even competitive in the Big Ten. So you got to come in, you got to hit the ground running, you got to get to work quickly to try and like get in front of all of these players because, um, you know, we saw before Shrewsbury leaving that some of these players that were in the transfer portal um, on Twitter, it's like, oh, this player has reportedly heard from these following schools. And Penn State was on like nearly all those lists. That was before Shrewsbury left. So now we're back to, um, you know, square one with that new coach has to come in, make those phone calls, like get in front of those players and make that pitch. So that is like my mindset. You know, if I'm Pat Kraft, if I'm this committee that's like trying to find this next coach, like it, it's all about speed right now. You know, like mm -hmm. there's no, there's no shortage of like, you know, guys who would probably be a good fit, um, for this role given a post Shrewsbury world, because I think we're. Like not not to sound like nihilistic, but it's like we're past the point of like ideal. We're shooting for like pretty good or good enough in in like a certain like a, in a certain way. So you know that being said, I'm actually really in favor of Mike Rhodes uh, potentially coming to Penn State. You know, there's like a lot of reasons why I think this makes sense. You know, number one, he's from PA. Number two, he played in PA. Number three. 
He's had multiple NCAA tournament appearances and wins. Number four, he's won multiple conference titles. Vince, you know, we, we all know that that's like your holy grail, like the conference title. Um, He's coached multiple NBA players. So he's got that um, in his back pocket as well to talk to these potential recruits and incoming transfers and stuff like that. So I think all of these things kind of really match up nicely for Penn state. And also like something that I, I didn't want to include in like my main list, but the fact that he's coming from VCU and has been kind of in the world of the mid majors and like trying to get those guys, he's got a really good sense of like a bunch of guys who um, play at that level currently and who might really translate well to make the jump up to like the power five um, level of competition. So, you know, just like how Shrewsbury was such a master of like finding these guys in the transfer portal, you know, look no further than Jalen Pickett and Andrew Funk and others. I think that Mike Rhodes has the potential to be that as well. So, you know, if things uh, match up on both sides, I'd be really happy with this hire, um, you know, for all the reasons that I listed. But Vince, what do you think? Are you um, in the same boat as me or do you think I'm crazy? Uh, I'm definitely in a, a much different camp uh, out of the coaches on the list that we, we just listed. Uh, he's act, he would actually be my third choice on the list. My first choice is uh, coach fish. Um, I think that Penn state really needs to get back in a you know, good faith with the players on the squad. You've seen a lot of them, um, you know, I'm, are not happy that coach Shrewsbury is not there anymore. However, these players all know coach fish. They all love coach fish has a really good relationship with the players. That's the first thing. Number two, he knows the offense they were just running so he can implement, uh, you know, similar, uh, characteristics. He already knows the player's strength and strengths and weaknesses. I think it'll make it easier for talent to stay. So guys like Kerry Booth, um, you know, probably had some communication with him in the recruiting, uh, you know, when they were looking into Penn state and, uh, another thing he's just had success wherever he he's gone. He's, uh, you know, been at Penn state, had a good career at Penn state under edge Chellis. uh, you know, went to Villanova, spent some time with Jay Wright. And I know we were joking that we should try to get Jay Wright out of, ret- out of retirement to go to Penn state. Yeah. Um, but he spent some time with him. Uh, you know, one of the best coaches in college basketball, uh, he spent some time with coach chambers, had a lot of success here. Um, then he, and his most recent stop before joining coach Shrewsbury was he was with Jim Larnega and Miami. And right now that's a team that's in the final four. So between Shrewsbury, Larnega, um, Jay, Wright, Those are some good, you know, guys to learn under and some, you know, good guys, you know, just to learn how it's done. That's how you learn how it's done. Uh, you know, so he's had so many good mentors has good relationships with the players. I think he would be a slam dunk candidate. I'm um, just looking at all of his experience and you know where all those programs are now. Just I think he's a slam dunk candidate. I I, I do think I recall seeing that Temple was looking at Coach Fisher, correct? To be their their head coach. So you know we're not the only ones so <laughs> that have him on the list. So I think he would be a slam dunk candidate. Uh, second, I would have uh, Matt Langle. Um, he does have some PA ties, uh, spending some time coaching at Temple. He's led the squad to, uh, you know, five regular season Patriot League championships, including uh, four championships because they made the dance four times. 
uh, three-point shooting squad. They were really good at that. So I think he's going to be able to implement an offense that would, you know, have a really good ball movement and, you know, get a lot of players open, easy shots. I, I think that's really important trying an offense. So for my reason, uh, for those reasons, I think that would be my second candidate. And then uh, third, Mike Rhodes would be, be my third choice just because of the, you know, the PA ties and he's had, had some success at VCU, won some conference titles with, you know, three NCAA tournament exper- uh, appearances in the past six years. So, you know, I think that's very solid, but uh, you know, overall, and you know, shock is smart, good, good guy to learn under. He's uh, coaching at Marquette now. So yeah, so those are my reasons why, why he's third on my list, and I would have Coach Fish one and uh, Matt Langle two. Gotcha. So two questions there, um, just to kind of like um, play a little bit of devil's advocate. So um, Fisher, you know, I think from a relationship with the players and with the current administration and kind of knowing where the state of things are, like I think what you say makes a lot of sense. So my first question is, do you think that he could be like another Shrewsbury like guy who has had a lot of experience learning from all these great mentors? Because I mean, obviously Shrewsbury came from, you know, uh, like the Celtics and Butler and Purdue, um, you know, before coming to Penn State. So he just had like a lot of stops where he learned a lot of things. So do you think that Fisher can be another Shrewsbury like guy? And number two, do you think that if... Um, if Fisher is hired as the head coach that he can keep, uh, Corey Booth at Penn state or Carrie, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, I think, I, th- I think he could keep Carrie Booth there. I think there's, uh, some potential, um, because let's be honest, uh, Notre Dame, they already have some guys on their roster and coach Shrewsbury can only bring over so many bodies from Penn state. He can't have 30 guys on the roster. So not everyone's going to be able to join coach Shrewsbury and, Players already know Coach Fisher. They have familiarity with him. He already knows how to put them in good positions. And, you know, if I was on Coach Shrewsbury coaching staff, I wouldn't try to change too much. I would try to, you know, keep a lot of the routine, you know, the, the players' routines. And, you know, that's really important in, in athletics. Athletes love their routines. And, uh, you know, I think he can put them in really good positions to win basketball games. I think he can help them keep the good talent there. And I think he's had so many great people to learn under coach Shrewsbury, Jim Laranega, who's in the final four right now, Jay Wright, Pat chambers. Like he's been under so many good coaches and all those programs have been good while he's helping out. So I don't think that happens by accident or that might just be me. So I think he's a, you know, a really good candidate and, uh, I think he can do some big things at Penn State. Now you don't hire a guy just because the play, the you know, the players like him. Like, right? You know, I wanted Coach Ferry back because the players liked him. But then, yep. Looking at Michael Shrewsbury, I'm like, okay, Purdue assistant. That's a really awesome basketball program. I think things will work out. And then when I heard him talk at press conferences and things like that, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I'm getting good vibes from this guy. So I, I think Adam Fisher, though, uh, you know, I think that's the way you go with the, this coaching hire. And uh, you know, I do think. Mike Rhodes is likely going to be uh, the candidate. There was a port released earlier today that, you know, he was offered the job. So by the time our pod gets out tomorrow, uh, you know, he might already be Penn State's basketball coach. We don't know. But um, in terms of speculation and who I would want, I would want to go to with uh, Coach Adam Fisher. Fair enough. Yeah. So I guess uh, you 
preemptively answered my third question, which was uh, like, if you were a betting man, do you think that Mike Rhodes is going to be the next guy? If I was a betting man, of course, like those reports are usually pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> so if I was a betting man, like I would say Mike Rhodes is most likely going to be, uh, you know, Penn State's next head coach. Um, you know, will it work out? Time will tell. But, um, you know, I think just with the way things went down, I, I think it's it's better to keep Coach Fisher in there. And then you can keep the other you can almost really give all the other coaches on the coaching staff you know, almost like a, a bump up, you know, like a little promotion that's good for rapport and then bring in some new young talent to uh, kind of help fill out the the coaching staff. I mean, that's fair, but do you think that there's maybe a bit uh, like the, the idea of rapport is a bit overplayed when, you know, we have such a shining example of like when that wasn't the case and it worked out so well with Shrewsbury. Cause I mean, like if, you know, you bring in Mike Rhodes, who, you know, the guys on this on the team now aren't super familiar with, but he comes in and they start winning a bunch of basketball games and they bring in some, you know, a couple of high profile transfer guys and stuff like that. Like, I think the rapport will be just fine. It, it could be, but I think, you know, players are more likely to leave. You know, you saw that even with guys like Isaiah Brockington, Myron Jones, uh, Jamari Wheeler, like all leaving when Ferry didn't return. So, but I think Jamari Wheeler was going to go regardless. <laughs> That's just my take. Yeah. Th- those guys really, really like Pat Chambers. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to tell. Like, obviously you don't want to just hire a guy for the sake of rapport. Like, um, and you, you want to hire somebody that you think is going to do a good job, you know, first and foremost, however, you know, mm-hmm. Penn State has had him and seen him in action. So you, you think they would have a pretty good background on him and it, they would know if he's a good coach or not, you know, just based off of being around him, you know, three different, three different stints. Like he was a player under, Ed, you know, Ed DeCellis and worked with Pat Chambers and now working with Michael Shrewsbury. He's been there several times. It's not like he's a stranger to Penn State. So at this point, you know, I feel like they, they know enough to make an, an educated decision and, like, do I trust them though? After some of the stuff that's gone down, down in the program. Right. I, I don't know if I can trust this, uh, you know, administration to make the best hire. And, you know, another Shrews, thing too about, you got to give him credit that, for coach Shrews, but you know, um, this next one might not be a slam dunk like he was. Yeah. That, that, and I think, you know, I think, you know, I might, I might be like thinking too deeply into this, but I think there might also be something to be said about bringing in a guy who hasn't had a ton of experience with, um, Penn state, not necessarily from the standpoint that like Adam Fisher would just kind of bend to whatever like stipulations that the board of trustees and the powers that be would have for him in the basketball program. But, you know, I think somebody who like comes in from an outside program that's had like very good success as of late and, you know, like reaching back now to like a decade and longer, like might be able to say like, no, like we need these sorts of things, like continue to kind of push the issue a little bit, like press those buttons a bit more, like get those administrators in gear to make sure that Shrewsbury 2.0 doesn't happen. Like, I, I just wonder if there's like some, like my, my, you know, I'm trying to like, galaxy brain my 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 fan mind here you know like i'm just i'm thinking about this in like uh so many different angles but anyway um 
So obviously we don't know um, what the deal is going to be there with um, that coaching hire. Like you said, uh, that report came out tonight uh, from John Rothstein, who's a pretty, pretty solid, reliable guy in the world of college basketball. So um, yeah, who knows? Maybe by the time that this thing is live, uh, we will have a new basketball coach, but um, Vince, do you have anything else about um, Penn State basketball uh, before we move on to some other points of discussion? Um, yeah, not, not much. They just got to kind of got to get their shit together yep. <laughs> and uh, you know, allocate those resources. I, I do think that, you know, I did hear that Penn state is offering over $3 million. Now Notre Dame got 4 million for coach Shrewsbury mm-hmm. over that, you know, per for seven years, which is a really long coaching contract. Um, so they definitely gave him a, a very good offer. Um, so you know, I've heard that. And then I've also heard that Penn state has doubled their NIL package, which the improvements great. But again, at the end of the day, if you want to get talent, you, you got to be competitive because it's almost like uh, it's almost more like Major League Baseball instead of, you know, the NFL. The NFL has like a salary cap, whereas, um, you know, Major League Baseball doesn't. So Major League Baseball is is more of like, oh, teams like buying tickets and, you know, team owners playing millions of dollars to the players and making sure they're happy. That way you can get the best talent. And, you know, a lot of sports is a talent acquisition business. So you got to get the, the best guys in, uh, you know, to perform throughout the day in the course of a season. So, you know, hopefully Penn state will, uh, you know, take this doubled NIL deal, um, over $3 million to coach basketball, very good, uh, contract. So hopefully they can, you know, keep building that up that way, you know, shrews 2.0 does not happen. And we have a, you know, a good quality coach for a long period of time. Agreed. Yeah. Cause I think that's, uh, that's what we all just want, you know, like we've seen what Penn state basketball is capable of as a program. So we just want to see that continue, but nonetheless, uh, other Penn state athletics have happened outside of, uh, outside of basketball. <laughs> um, so, uh, most notably, um, within the football program, uh, Penn State recently held their pro day. So, you know, it was a really great opportunity for, uh, you know, guys like uh, like Jair Brown and Joey Porter Jr. Uh, to get another look at or to, you know, show off their skill sets and their uh, physical attributes for NFL scouts and coaches and things like that. Um, it was also a really nice opportunity for guys like Sean Clifford, who were not invited to the NFL combine um, to show what they're made of. And seemed like, you know, Clifford really made the most of his opportunity. Um, he ran, I believe a sub four, six in his second yeah, four, um, five, seven. Yeah. So pretty fast for a, uh, for a quarterback and um, yeah, those times aren't official though. There's like the yeah. combine, they don't have like the lasers <laughs> that, is, that is true. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think even on tape, he, he, he's shown, you know, some elusiveness, but either way, uh, you know, looked like he was pretty accurate during his throwing drills and stuff like that. So I think that was, uh, that was pretty important for him just to have a really nice showing because um, he's always, at least in my mind, had this, uh, you know, potential to be drafted probably on day three. But I think that, um, you know, a solid showing at the pro day uh, really kind of solidified that. I think he is going to be drafted on day three now, um, either in round six or seven. Uh, just kind of remains to be seen as to where. Uh, ahead of Will Levis, like I predicted. <laughs> <laughs> 
dude, if if he gets drafted before Will Levis, I mean, there there's like some, I, I don't know, like, you know, the, there's some like imbalance in the force because like, I think it's going to take some, you know, um, some like uh, godlike intervention for for Will Levis not to be taken like any later than number six <laughs> or seven. Yeah, and uh, my roommate and I have kind of had a l- this discussion a little bit, so I want to share with you. Um, okay. So he was saying, you know, you know, if you're a player, it's it's I would say it's like better to be an undrafted free agent. That way, you can choose where to go and and go to a better situation, as opposed to being like a sixth or seventh round pick and probably not making the team, and you, you might be in a situation that might not be a good fit. Uh, what what are your thoughts on that for somebody like Sean Clifford, who is you know, probably going to get drafted in, in the late rounds? That is an interesting scenario. Um, I think I would probably still uh, lean towards getting drafted just because you do have some level of guaranteed money there. And, yeah, more guaranteed you know, money. Right. And so it's like you never know like when – you know, when your last football move is going to be, whether it's like you take a, a weird step or you get hit in the legs or, you know, something else happens and like you're you're not playing football again. So in my mind, it's like the more guaranteed money that you can get as a football player, the better. So I'd probably lean in that direction. But I do think that's that's an interesting idea, though. So it's like if you're like just on the outside of, you know, what is it? Those like 255 guys that get drafted or whatever, and you want to sign with the chiefs and Andy Reid has come saying, Hey, like, you know, we really like your skill set and we want to like bring you to camp and stuff like that. Like, like, hell yeah, I'm going to go like try out for the chiefs. <laughs> you know, I, I want to go win a super bowl. So yeah, I, I can see the, the uh, value in that too. Yeah. And I do kind of feel like with him, his age really hurts his odds of being drafted. I think a, a good situation for him is like a contender because uh, you know, they already have a, a quarterback, obviously, you know, if they're a Super Bowl contender and then like if a guy goes down, he can fill in for, you know, a, a game or two. And, you know, he's got a very high football IQ. He's got a lot of football experience at a very high level. And, you know, I think he's ready to just hop in an NFL game and it's not really going to phase him. And he's going to, you know, run his audibles and go through his progressions. And I, I, I trust him to do that. So. Uh, I think that would be a, a good situation for him to be a, you know, a number three quarterback somewhere in case a disaster does strike a team like, you know, the, the 49ers experience in the, in the playoffs. Yeah. Could you imagine the the if we saw, yeah. Could you imagine if we saw Sean Clifford as the quarterback that's leading a team to a conference championship? Like, could you imagine that just how many heads would just explode both Penn State <laughs> fan and non Penn State fans if that were to happen? Everyone be like, who's this guy? Yeah. Sean F. and Clifford. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Like clearly you, you, you didn't watch college football like for the past seven years to know like who this, who this guy is, but yeah, like he's, he's ready to roll. Like he's, you know, just the maturity and, and stuff like he's already got his business, like a business going. So like he's, he's in good shape to, you know, really be successful. Agreed. So, um, Another bit of news that came out of Pro Day, um, Joey Porter Jr. did confirm that he was invited um, to the upcoming NFL draft, and he does plan to attend. So um, it's likely that we're going to see 
his name being called in the first round of the draft, which is really historical because Penn State's never had a cornerback drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. So, um, you know, and what's kind of crazy is that we might see that we might see Penn State's second cornerback drafted in in the first round, like the very next year, <laughs> Kalen <laughs> King, if he decides to uh, come out after next season. But, um, you know, what's, what's sad about that, though, Vince, is like thinking about our Eagles and stuff like that. I think it's pretty unlikely that we're going to see Joey Porter in uh, in the uh, green and white for us. Yeah, I, I think if Chauncey Gardner Johnson would have uh, took that deal, we would not have had the money to sign James Bradbury. And then Joey would slide into that spot. But hey, you never know. Corner is kind of one of those those positions you can never have enough corners. And that is true. Greedy Williams does make it less likely, but you, you never know. Uh, my question for you, though, um, since I think I'm probably going to be wrong about Parker Washington, do you think <laughs> yeah. that uh, Joey Porter Jr. gets drafted higher than Jahan Dotson last year at 16? Yes, easily. I think he's going to be uh, like 12 at uh, at the highest. At the highest or yeah. at the worst? Tw- okay, at the worst 12. Yeah, so like one being the lowest, 12 being the highest. Okay, um, another question. Do you th- think he'll be the first corner off the board, second, third? What are your thoughts on that? I'm just going to, you know, go with my fan brain. Yeah, I, I like him as uh, as the number one corner. I think that... You know, the more that comes out about like other guys that um, are expected to go in the first round, I think uh, Joey just has the the size and length. You know, I think that he just has the measurables that they're that they're looking for, and I think that his performance at not only the combine but at pro day, I think, will um, probably elevate him um, to that CB one status. That's just you know my take, but obviously it's biased. Yeah, a little biased there. Uh, Last question on Joey Porter Jr. Do you think he will be available on the board for our Eagles at 10? Yes, I think I think he will be there. Um, like I said, unfortunately, I think the Eagles are probably going to pass um, just because I think that this this class is so quarterback heavy. So, I mean, it's like we could see like four quarterbacks go in the first like five picks and then it's like you know you're gonna have your your offensive linemen um in there and your your edge rushers and stuff like that so i think by the time like once those dominoes have fallen i think he will still be there at 10 um but who knows you know the the draft is crazy like maybe maybe some teams are going to be uh like trading back and or trading up and stuff like that so yeah i think this is a really good draft for the eagles too because uh, there's a lot of good edge rushers, it looks like, a lot of good corners, which those are positions that the Eagles could very well you know, stock up at. And yes, uh, looks like there's some some decent O-linemen. Like, I haven't really fallen in love with any of the linemen necessarily, but I do think a lot of uh, you know, the defensive linemen look really good and, you know, obviously corner. So, uh, yeah, those would be some good areas for the, the Eagles to draft. Uh but last question, what's your final prediction for Joey Porter Jr.? What what number does he hear his name called? And this will be actually be the last one, I promise. <laughs> yeah, no, keep him coming. Um I'm going to say number 11. I mean, I, I don't I don't yeah, I don't know why. T- Tennessee I mean, Titans. Uh could they use a corner? Um uh, most of the mock drafts I've seen have the Titans taking an offensive lineman. So either like Paris oh, Johnson right. Jr. or 
uh, you know, like Peter Skronsky out of Northwestern. I see. Um, all right. Uh, one second. Let me take a look at the. Like the Roger Jones, <laughs> uh, one of the, or the other Ohio, Ohio State tackle. Yep. So. Um, Roger Jones is a Georgia tackle. And then the Dewan Jones is the Ohio State tackle. Got it. Um, you know, I've actually seen some um, projections having him go to the Steelers, who are currently at number 17 in the order. I just, you know, like I said, I think that 17 is a little uh, a little too high up in the order uh, for a guy of his skill set. So I think that the Steelers might trade up a little bit to go get him if they if they really want him. I mean, I could see um, them actually, you know, really wanting um, a solid corner in this draft, uh, just given that their their secondary is a bit lighter, especially since we just plucked uh, Terrell Edmonds. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so we uh, so, you know, I think they're going to be looking for. um uh, for guys like Joey Porter Jr. And also, like, let's just face it, the Steelers apparently just love hometown stories like this because you know, his dad like played for the Peckett. Steelers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so they're suckers for this kind of stuff. So um I wouldn't be surprised to see him there. But um I think I think 17, um, not because of uh, you know, whether whether he gets taken behind John Dotson or anything like that. I just think that 17 is a little too high up in the order for him, but uh, we'll see. Hey, maybe they'll trade up with the Eagles and we can uh, get some extra picks. That'd be nice. So um, here's a, here's a question for you. Um, you know, assuming that Joey Porter Jr. is not going to be an Eagle, um, who do you think is the next or the most likely Penn State player that the Eagles will draft next? You know, given Miles Sanders' uh, departure to Carolina, like in this draft or in future drafts, like over the next two or three years, who do you think is the most likely player that the Eagles will draft from Penn state. I think like Kalen King could be a good shot. If you're talking like two or three years, if you're talking yep. this year, any year. Uh, so, you know, like whoever, whoever is next in line for you. So, I mean, it could be something as like, as like crazy as like, Oh, the Eagles will take like, you know, Parker Washington in like the fifth round or something this year. Yeah. I think, totally I do. think, I think there's potential for Parker Washington in the, uh, you know, in that third round at pick 94. I think that's a, a lot of potential. And okay. but I think probably the most likely for me is between Jair Brown and Juice Scruggs. Uh, you know, the safety is an obvious position of need since they lost out on both Chauncey Gardner Johnson and Marcus Epps, who are the two starting safeties. Uh, you do have Justin Evans and Terrell Edmonds that they just signed, but you don't know, you know, if that'll work out or not and if they'll fit the scheme or not. I think Jair Brown, uh, he, he made big time plays all year. So I know he's not quite as like loved by the scouts, but I'm definitely a, a big like watch the tape guy and he passes the eye test for me. So he would probably be my highest. And then second is uh, Juice Scruggs, just because I think, uh, you know, in just kind of all along the line, you, you, they could use some depth. Uh, you know, they lost Isaac Samalu and Andre Dillard. So they, they really lost like, you know, probably one of their top backups. And then they lost uh, their starting right guard. Jason Kelsey is going to be retiring soon. You don't know when that will be. Uh, you know, Sirianni has just been able to bribe him with like a keg of beer like every year. So he'll probably do that maybe you know, another couple of seasons. And then 
I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Kelsey will just play forever. <laughs> like he's, we can only he's, hope. He's an all-time great eagle. Like probably my favorite eagle of all time. But oh um, yeah, hands down. Yeah. So anyway, you know, obviously depth along the offensive line is important, and uh, you know that's been a big, re- big reason for their success and why they've mm-hmm. been able to do well. And we we've addressed that as p- to Penn State doing better, and they fixed that towards the end of the year and started playing better. So um, yeah. I, I think uh, Juice Scruggs and, you know, Jire Brown, both uh, two really good candidates to make the Eagles. And then also, who knows the Brenton strain? You can never give Jalen Hurts enough weapons. So That's true. Maybe yeah. he could be a sleeper and they're looking to upgrade over Jack Stoll or Calcaterra. But I, I do think Jack Stoll and Calcaterra are both pretty good players. So, you know, maybe they take Brenton Strange over Calcaterra because he can block better. Um, you know, maybe that's a reason, but you know, you never know. Uh, and, and like the Eagles are a team that they say they draft for, you know, best player available and not by position, which is really what you want to do. So, yeah, could see it go that way too. No, that's fair. I'm a little bit out there in thinking that the next Penn State Barney Moore. Yeah, you know, honestly, <laughs> I would love I would love to have Barney Amore in Philly. Like given the crap punting situation that the Eagles were dealing with uh, you know, most most way through the end of the season and into the postseason, like yes, give me Barney Amore. But I think that's a great fit because his last name is Amore, which means love in Spanish, I'm pretty oh, sure. There we go. Yeah. The so, city of brotherly love, Amore, yeah. like it's a good fit. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, and I mean, like he he's obviously got the skill set that like he like his ability to drop the ball on a dime on the field, like Eagles fans would eat that up, you know, like he'd become like a folk hero um, in an Eagles uniform. If he just like came out and just like absolutely crushed like four punts in a row, like inside the five or whatever. And the Eagles like eked, eked out a win. Like he, he'd become like a star the next day. Like Eagles fans would love him. But um, my, uh, so my, my prediction, and I'm probably going to be very wrong. I think that the next Penn State player that the Eagles draft is going to be Olu Fashionu after next season. I think, I think that's that, a, a good one for, for yeah. depth. Yeah. Um, you know, cause I think um, historically the Eagles have always shown that uh, they're going to go line, you know, when they feel even a slight bit of need at, for depth, you know, along the line. Um, even when, you know, Jason Kelsey was still fully healthy um, and, you know, able to play the center position at the highest level possible. Um, they drafted his backup and stuff like that in the second round. So, Twice. you know, I don't, yeah, that, With yeah, Dickerson, that's very true. Landon Dickerson and then, uh, right. Cam Dragons. Yep. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's crazy to think that, um, you know, even, and Lane Johnson is kind of getting up there in years. Um, you know, it's not uh, like, it's not fair of us as fans of the Eagles to think that, you know, Lane Johnson isn't going to be, uh, probably without some, injury troubles uh now and then just given like how long he's like been playing football and how long you know he's been like doing his job and absolutely crushing it so you know i think having some depth um at either tackle spot would be good so i'm liking uh olu fashionu or you know i think because uh, didn't we we signed bradbury to a one-year deal right uh three years oh, it was oh okay yeah. uh must be thinking of someone else but well, maybe yeah, it's, uh maybe it's a i think it's like i think it's a three-year deal but okay I think like the third year of things aren't working out, they don't have a ton of guaranteed money. Okay. <laughs> got it. So yeah, if, if it hits the fan, then we got some, uh, some contingencies, but um, yeah, I, I also really like, um, 
Kalen King because I don't think the Eagles are really in a position to um, go corner in the first round or at least at like number 10 in this draft. But, you know, a lot of things can change in a year. Yeah, uh, that's for sure. Uh, Look at the Titans. They might be trading Derrick Henry like it's and then Lamar Jackson wants to go away from the Ravens like so much changes. You know, you had Russell Wilson going to the Broncos last year. Like so much can change in a season. It's true. Um, so yeah, um, last bit of football news that I got for you, Vince. I want to get a quick reaction out of you. Um, we've had a couple of new recruits come in. So we've got um, Luke Reynolds, tight end for the 2024 class. And we've also got um, new incoming safety, Omari Gaines of the 2025 class. So Vince, any reaction? Uh, good reaction. Uh, tight end is my favorite position in football. So glad to see you were just churning in stud tight ends and you know safety has been a position at Penn State has done really well you have a uh, Jaquan Brisker and now Jair Brown both looking to be NFL guys and just kind of hope they keep the good tradition going agreed yep so welcome to State College guys so uh um obviously it's uh like it, it's crazy to think how much time is going to pass between uh and who, who knows like these are verbal commitments too yeah, exactly <laughs> no and no nil was signed so i will say anything can change till they sign the nli but um as we've seen with basketball i guess that doesn't matter anymore either that, so yeah yeah i mean like yeah oh, it's, man, uh, what a yeah. mess that it, basketball it sure program's is in. <laughs> Yeah, it it uh, it sure is. But uh, yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think like how much time is going to pass between now and when the twenty twenty five class like um, actually signs with their schools. Like that that's an insane amount of time. So you know, obviously, um, uh, they're gonna have to you know continue to like maintain good relationships with these guys, and I'm sure they will. Like James Franklin and staff have done a really good job of that historically. So I'm not too worried from that front. You know, just gonna be. Uh, like, I think what, what is interesting is like the potential of like either one of these guys, um, increasing their profile to the point where you have almost like a, like a Justin Field situation where like Penn state was able to get a verbal commitment from Justin Fields. And then Justin Fields comes out and is like the second best prospect in all of high school football outside of Trevor Lawrence. And then that's when you had the likes of Georgia coming in and trying to, pick him off. So, I mean, there's always the potential for that too, but, um, that is, you know, uh, maybe, and a big if and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, we won't speculate on that too much now, but, uh, Vince, I think we've, uh, we've covered a lot of stuff here. Um, lots of stuff, that, lots of juicy content. I hope we get a, a lot of listens on this one. I think, well, yeah, I mean, I think we will. This is like, I mean, this is, this is the hottest topic, man. Like everybody, everyone wants like an outlet to think about college basketball at Penn state right now, because it's like we said up top, like there's so much murkiness around this and there's not like a ton of transparency as to like, like why things fell apart. Like all people can do is guess and try to like put the pieces together in a way that makes sense. And so, you know, I think we've actually done a pretty decent job of doing it here. Um, it's just, you know, we gotta like kind of look inward and say, Hey, you know, we've got this obvious issue in house. And so we need to make sure that it's, uh, like that it gets figured out before, like all of a sudden we hear rumblings of like James Franklin leaving Penn state or Kale Sanderson leaving Penn state. I mean, like you want to talk about like turning a university upside down, like either one of those, either one of those guys leaving right now would do it. So we just got to make sure that like those situations are nipped in the bud as quickly as possible so that Penn state is set up for the future. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you made it all the way through the episode and this, we're running close to an hour 30. So uh, thank you guys for your, your support. If you'd like to support the pod, please tell your friends, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star review. So the other Nittany Lion fans like you can find us interested in new episodes. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, or other streaming platforms to be notified. Thank you for listening. And we want to remind you that we are the Nittany blues podcast. See you next time.